you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 48 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Before I introduce the show, I just want to thank you also for your prayers concerning my vocation, uh, this vocational change that I'm undergoing. Uh, I've had a couple interviews and uh, they went well, but uh, nothing is for certain yet. So uh, just please continue to lift me up in this time. Well, In the last podcast, I gave an overview of what a typical early Christian gathering would look like. Today, I want to provide for you a profile of a typical early Christian. How did they view the commands of Christ? How did they view their responsibility to the world? What was their view on money? And what did they believe about the judgment to come? We're going to answer all these questions and more in today's show, and I pray that you are both inspired and encouraged. Well, if you're blessed by today's episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a positive review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Doing so will greatly help me out, as well as uh, reviewing my new album, which is also on iTunes in different places, this new album called The Shadows EP. If you've listened to it and you like those songs, please do me a favor and head over to iTunes and leave a positive review and rating. And also, if you've read my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, please head over to Amazon and also leave a rating and review there. That will help others so much and me as well. If you want to contact me, you can go to my website, philsbaker.com, and you can find my uh, email contact there, which is email philsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about this episode or any episodes that we talk about, or maybe an ethical question, send me or BDK an email, and we will be happy to answer your question on Ready With An Answer, which we do once a month. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. All right, well, let's go ahead and get episode 48 rolling. In 2016, the Barna Research Group put out uh, a study on the state of the American church. One of their findings was that almost three quarters of Americans say they are Christian. 73% say they are Christian. And 
if an individual met 60% or more of a set of factors, which includes things like disbelief in God or identifying as an atheist or an agnostic, and that they do not participate in practices such as Bible reading, prayer, and church attendance, then they were considered post-Christian. Based on this metric, almost half of all adults in America are post-Christian. So it's interesting that some identify as Christian, but about 25% less of those identifying as Christians say are, they're actually post-Christian in their practice. Now, same study, 75% of people said they prayed to God at least once per week, but only 35% read their Bibles once per week. People were asked to give their opinions on this statement. Christians have a responsibility to evangelize others. And in the study, only 26% strongly agreed that we, are, that we have a responsibility to evangelize others. And 35% strongly disagreed, which means about 10% of those people identifying as Christians believe that we have, that we should not be evangelizing others. In 2019, the Barna Group did a study on the state of the Bible in the American church, and uh, one of the statistics measured was Bible engagement profiles, and it's it spanned from people that are Bible-centered to Bible-disengaged. A Bible-centered person is someone who interacts with the Bible frequently, and the Bible is transforming in their relationships and shaping their choices, and only 5% of the population agrees with that. 5% are Bible-centered. A Bible-engaged person is someone who interacts with the Bible frequently, and it is transforming with their relationship with God and others. And that was 19%. Now, notice the difference is that the Bible is not helping to shape their choices. Now, Bible-friendly people were also 19% of the population, and these are people that interact with the Bible consistently, it may be a source of spiritual insight and wisdom. The Bible-neutral people were 9% of the population. These are people who interact with the Bible sporadically, and it has little spiritual influence, but that influence may be growing. And the last category were Bible-disengaged. These are people who interact with the Bible infrequently, if at all, and it has minimal impact on their lives. And this was the largest per percentage of people in the survey. It was 48%. 48% of Americans in 2019 are Bible disengaged. Well, those are some characteristics of modern American Christians. What I want to do in this podcast is look at some characteristics of the early Christians. And what I'm going to do is look at writings primarily from Christians in the second century. This is really when Christianity was thriving. The Gnostic influence was kind of 
uh, minimal. The Gnosticism really blew up in the third century and started to have a, a large effect on the church. And there were some compromises that happened in the church as well in the in the third century. But the second century, that's like the peak of Christendom in terms of uh, it reaching the world in a powerful way and people living out the gospel. And so what I want to do is, is read you from some of these second century Christian writers. And the majority of these writings are in apologetic form. So they're defenses that Christians wrote to the empire, the Roman empire, uh, countering some uh, myths about the Christians and also promoting the truth of what Christianity was really like, what Christians are really like. So this is Aristides, and this is around like 125 or so AD. He says this, The Christians, O king, went about and searched, and they have found the truth. As I have learned from their writings, they have come nearer to the truth and a genuine knowledge than the rest of the nations. For they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and earth, in whom and from whom are all things. Therefore, they do not commit adultery or fornication. They do not bear false witness. They do not embezzle what is held in pledge, nor do they covet that which is not theirs. They honor father and mother and show kindness to those who are near them. Whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do not worship idols made in the likeness of men. Whatever they wish others to not do to them, they do not do to others. They do not eat food consecrated to idols, for they are pure. They comfort their oppressors and make them their friends. Whenever one of the poor among them passes from this world, each one of them gives heed to him according to his ability and carefully sees to his burial. If they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted because of the name of their Christ, all of them carefully attend to his needs. If it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they do not have an abundance of necessities, they will fast for two or three days that they may supply the needy person with their necessary food. They follow the commandments of their Christ with much care, living justly and seriously, just as their Lord God commanded them. The good deeds which they do, they do not proclaim in the ears of the multitude, and they take care that no one shall perceive them and hide their gift as he who has found a treasure and hides it. And they labor to become righteous as those that expect to see their Messiah and receive from him the promises made to them with great glory. So a couple things that you can see from Aristides in this description of the Christians. First, they follow the, the Ten Commandments, but they go beyond the basic keeping of the Ten Commandments, as Jesus would describe in like Matthew 5. They keep the commandments of Christ with much care. They are absolutely serious, not about keeping religious traditions of men that are called Christian, but keeping the commandments of Jesus. 
They're very generous with their money, but they don't make a show out of it. They give to people who cannot pay them back. Their eyes are set on the invisible and not the visible, and they are future-oriented in terms of they are living this way in light of both what Jesus did, so they're past-oriented in one sense, in light of what Jesus did, but they're also future-oriented because they're, they're living in accordance with the commandments of Christ because they long and they truly believe with all their heart they're going to see him again one day. All right, well, next we're going to move to the letter to Diognetus, which is sometimes also called Methetes. This is an incredible, incredible letter that I, I really want to encourage you to read. It is transformative. Letter to Diognetus or Methetes. So this is what he writes. Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of humankind by country, speech, or customs, They do not live in cities of their own. They do not speak a special language. They live only as guests and aliens. They take part in everything as citizens and endure everything as strangers and aliens. Every foreign country is their homeland, and every homeland is a foreign country to them. They marry like everyone else. They beget children but they do not expose their children after they are born. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but through their life, they surpass these laws. They love all people and are persecuted by all people. No one knows them, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, and just through this, they are brought to life. They are poor as beggars, and yet they make many rich. They lack everything, and yet they have everything in abundance. They are dishonored, And yet, they have their glory in this very dishonor. They are insulted, and just in this way, they are vindicated. They are abused, and yet they bless. They are assaulted, and yet it is they who show respect. Doing good, they are sentenced like evildoers. And when punished with death, they rejoice in the certainty of being awakened to life. In a word, what the soul is in the body, the Christians are in the world. That's an excerpt from a letter to Diognetus, and it's just incredible. A couple of reflections from that. He says that Christians are not trying to influence the culture by being like the culture. Think about that in contrast to the modern American church. They don't try to influence the culture by being like the culture. They're trying to influence the culture by representing heaven, by being a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. 
they have truly taken up the belief that they are citizens of heaven and ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And so they are trying to show the world what heaven is like. And therefore, like Jesus, they are hated for it. All right, moving on to Justin Martyr. Justin was a philosopher who then became a Christian, and he wrote a couple of apologies, and they're tremendous, tremendous works. I want to encourage you to read those. This is one of his descriptions of the transformative power of the gospel in people's lives. He says, We who were once filled with war and mutual slaughter and every wickedness have each through the whole earth changed our warlike weapons. We've changed our swords into plowshares and our spears into implements of tillage and we cultivate piety, righteousness, philanthropy, faith, and hope which we have from the Father himself through him who was crucified. And now it is evident that no one can terrify or subdue us who have believed in Jesus all over the world. For it is plain that though we are beheaded and crucified and thrown to wild beasts and chains and fire and all other kinds of torture, we do not give up our confession. But the more such things happen, the more do others and in larger numbers become faithful and worshipers of God through the name of Jesus. For just as if one should cut away the fruit-bearing parts of a vine and it grows up again and yields other branches flourishing and fruitful, even so the same things happen with us. When you hear that we seek a kingdom, You suppose, without making an inquiry, that we are speaking of a human kingdom. But that is not so. We are speaking of a kingdom that is with God. And that is why we so openly confess our faith when charged with being Christians, even though we know that death is the punishment for our confession. If we were looking for a human kingdom, we would simply deny our Christ in order to escape death. We would do our utmost to conceal the fact that we are Christians so that we might live to attain such a human kingdom. But since our thoughts are not fixed on the present, we are not concerned when men kill us. We recognize that death is a debt that we all must eventually pay. So please understand that Christians are your allies. For one thing, We help to promote peace and order. For example, we teach that it is impossible for anyone, the wicked or the virtuous, to escape God's notice. We teach that every person will eventually receive everlasting punishment or everlasting salvation according to the merits of his actions. If everyone believed this, no one would choose wickedness even for a short time, realizing that he would receive the punishment of everlasting fire. 
everyone would restrain himself and clothe himself with righteousness so that he would obtain the good gifts of God and escape the punishments. The teachings of Jesus have transformed our lives. We, who previously delighted in immorality, now embrace chastity exclusively. We who used to practice magic arts now devote our lives to the good and unbegotten God. We who valued the acquisition of wealth and possessions above all things now bring what we have into a common pool and we share with everyone in need. Many of us used to hate and destroy one another. We would not live with people of a different race because of their different customs. But now, we live like a family with such people, and we pray for our enemies. We seek to persuade those who unjustly hate us to live by the wonderful teachings of Christ so that they can enjoy the wonderful hope of God's reward with us. All right, let's do a couple of reflections on Justin. First, you can see that there is this yet-not-yet belief about the kingdom of heaven. They really believe that God's kingdom has come, and they are living in the last days, as Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 state. And so, therefore, they feel like they are called to reflect heaven until the consummation of the ages. They also see martyrdom as a primary form of evangelism. These guys had incredible courage. And one of the things that helped them to live that way was the belief in God's judgment day, which was fueling much of what they do. They don't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. And so you can see also how this is challenging them to repent of racism. They can't just love the people that look like them or that like them. No, they're called to reach everyone. And especially in a city like Houston, where I am, to have a church that looks all the same, being that Houston is one of the most diverse cities in the country, to have a church that is mono-ethnic in one sense, that is not a reflection of the gospel or of the kingdom coming on earth. And these guys took repentance seriously. It was, according to Mark, one of the first messages that Jesus ever preached. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news, the gospel. All right, moving on to Athenagoras. This is written around 175 to 180. This is what Athenagoras says. Among us, you will find uneducated persons and artisans and old women who, if they were unable in words to prove the benefit of our doctrine, by their deeds, they exhibit the benefit arising from their persuasion of its truth. They do not rehearse speeches, but they exhibit good works. When struck, 
they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those that ask of them and love their neighbors as themselves. Should we then, unless we believe that a God presides over the human race, thus purge ourselves from evil? Most certainly not, but because we are persuaded that we shall give an account of everything in the present life to God, who made us and the world, we adopt a temperate and benevolent and generally despised method of life, believing that we shall suffer no such great evil here, even should our lives be taken from us, compared with what we shall there receive for our meek and benevolent and moderate life from the great judge. So, Who does not reckon among the things of greatest interest by the contests of the gladiators and wild beasts, especially those which are given by you? But we, deeming that to see a man put to death is much the same as killing him, have abjured such spectacles. How then, when we do not even look on, lest we should contract guilt and pollution, can we put people to death? And when we say that those women who use drugs to bring on abortion commit murder and will have to give an account to God for the abortion, on what principle should we commit murder? For it does not belong to the same person to regard the very fetus in the womb as a created being, and therefore an object of God's care, and then when it has passed into life, to kill it, and to not expose an infant because those who expose them are chargeable with child murder, and on the other hand, when it has been reared to destroy it. But we are in all things always alike and the same, submitting ourselves to reason and not ruling over it. And if I go minutely into the particulars of our doctrine, let it not surprise you. It is that you may not be carried away by the popular and irrational opinion, but may have the truth clearly set before you. For presenting the opinions themselves to which we adhere as not being of human origin, but rather uttered and taught by God, we shall be able to persuade you not to think of us as atheists. What then? Are those teachings in which we are brought up? I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So that's a a large section from Athenagoras. And just to kind of summarize a few, a few points from his letter, the Christians did not try to attract the world with professional speakers, kind of like the Greek orators. They did not try to attract the world with professional, polished speakers, but rather through their actions. They are not afraid to die because they believe in the judgment to come. They are pro-life from the womb to the tomb for all people everywhere, always. And the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching 
that has radically shaped their lives. It is at the core of why they do what they do. All right. Well, we're coming toward the end. We got one more Christian writer doing a description of, of the Christians. Uh, and certainly there are, there are more that we could go to, that we could turn to, but this is the last one for this podcast. This is Tertullian. And this is right at the close of that second century. So right around like 197 to 200, somewhere, somewhere right in there. And this is what he writes. As those in whom all ardor and the pursuit of glory and honor is dead, we have no pressing inducement to take part in your public meetings, nor is there anything more entirely foreign to us than the affairs of state. We acknowledge one all-embracing commonwealth, the world. We renounce all your spectacles as strongly as we renounce the matters originating them, which we know are conceived of superstition. Among us, nothing is ever said or seen or heard which has anything in common with the madness of the circus, the immodesty of the theater, the atrocities of the arena, the useless exercises of the wrestling ground. So why do you take offense at us? Because we differ from you in regard to your pleasures. No doubt about it. We who receive our awards under the judgment of an all-seeing God and who look forward to eternal punishment from him for sin, we alone make real effort to attain a blameless life under the influence of our ampler knowledge, the impossibility of concealment, and the greatness of the threatened torment, not merely long-enduring, but everlasting." We fear him. Again, here with Tertullian, we see that the Christians did not try to attract the world by being like the world. No, they were courageous people. They did not seek to influence the world by taking on worldly careers. They sought to influence the world by laying down their lives. They sought to influence the world by keeping the commands of Christ. And they did that with an eye toward judgment. They really believed in judgment day. And judgment day, therefore, had a profound effect on the choices that they made. Not just them standing before God, but the thought of all these other people standing before God too. So I want to ask you, how much do you really believe in eternity? How much does eternity really affect the choices that you make? May you be filled with the Holy Spirit to courageously teach others how to follow Christ's commands. May the judgment to come inspire you to live with sobriety and urgency. May you be radically transformed by the teachings of Jesus. And may you be 
an effective, passionate ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. God bless you. against us and seeks to ensnare us in manifold ways sorrows a part of this narrow road that we follow but then on that Just hear.